my name is Pastor Chris. Uh, I am the pastor at Rock Church in uh, Sackville. It is my honor to be with you today. I've had the great pleasure of coming and worshiping with you guys at different times um, throughout the years. Uh, I usually try to at least once on my vacation come up and, and spend a, a Sunday morning with you guys because uh, I feel strongly there's a deep connection that, uh, that God has done in this house through many decades to tie our two congregations together. I have so much respect and love for Pastor Bruce whenever we can get together. Uh, we try to and just spend some time with one another. He's so encouraging. You guys know that firsthand, of course, uh, but he's so encouraging to uh, a slightly younger minister such as myself. Uh, I'm 42, so I'm relatively young, but I'm not brand, brand new. But there's still so much I don't know. So when I can get together with a seasoned veteran of the faith, uh, I squeeze him for all he's worth. So hopefully he doesn't find those times too arduous, but I squeeze pretty hard. And of course, it's great to see Joanna and Jordan, and you guys know we're deeply connected. I actually had the pleasure of working with Joanna. You're awesome. See, now it'll be even shorter. I had the great pleasure of working with Joanna for um, a number of years uh, together on staff. I'm not sure how many. Four or five. Not long enough for me, too long for her, is I think how it goes. But it was a, it's a great opportunity to uh, get together with someone and to, to learn about each other when you work so closely together. And, and Joanna was a, a treasure to us, and I know she's a treasure to you guys as well. Well, I'd like to share a little bit with you guys this morning um, about the fact that we are all created on purpose for a purpose. God has specifically designed each and every one of us to fulfill a part of a great mission, a great journey, a great endeavor that we are all a part of. And I want to share a little bit about my own personal story and how God has begun to reveal to me uh, some of the things that he is calling me to do. He started doing that in my life at a relatively young age and some portions of scripture that I took great comfort in as I was seeking the Lord to see exactly what the call uh, on my particular life would be. Um, we know that, Pastor said it so great this morning, we know that everything we have comes from God. Everything we're involved in is because of Him, it is for Him, and we recognize all of those things. But the specific details of our each individual lives Though God has them well mapped out and well planned for, it's still incumbent upon us to discover those things, right? It's incumbent upon us to seek after him and to spend time with him so that we can understand it and we can understand the part that we play. portion of scripture I'd like us to uh, turn together this morning. I'm going to be jumping a, a little bit through the Bible today, but there's just a couple of key scriptures that I want to share with us to kind of put us on the, the same page together, as it were, and then share a little bit about my life and a little bit about one particular Bible story that uh, really helped me understand God and helped me in a time when I was really trying to figure out what am I created for? What is the purpose that God has placed uh, upon my particular life? So I'd like you to turn to Psalms the 92nd chapter of that. I believe they may have it on the screen for us as well. I'm reading out of the New King James Version today. 
Um, for those of you that have it, if you have your device, of course, uh, you can look it up there as well. That is Psalms 92, verse 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you need a minute, say, just a sec. So you're either really quick on your Bible or not everyone's being truthful. Both are okay. Both are okay. I'm not going to call you out. Psalms 92, beginning in verse 13, it says this, New King James Version. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord. You can even kind of think of it this way. Those whom God has placed. Those whom God has placed. He has set us all in a specific place. You have been planted in this particular church to flourish. And you've been planted in this particular church for a reason. God has designed it. He has destined it for you to be a part of this house. Some of us for a long time. Maybe some of us for a short time. But whatever the season you find yourself in, you have to know today that God has placed you here for a purpose. And because he has done that, you should expect to flourish in your life. You ex should expect to grow and mature in the things of faith. The great thing about this particular church is you get Bible every week, many times a week. Good gospel teaching for you to take in, for you to reflect upon, for you to apply to your own personal life so that you can grow and flourish. Such was my growing up. I actually pretty much grew up in church. Well, not pretty much. I absolutely grew up in church. I was going to church at least nine months before I was born. I guarantee you that. Um, we never missed a service. And uh, those were, as those that remember these times in the late 70s, certainly in, uh, in many areas and certainly in Newfoundland where I grew up, in the height of perhaps the, the Pentecostal uh, outpouring that was happening at that time, uh, we had long old church services. There was, there was some barn burners. There was some, you know, if you left before 11, you, you didn't feel like you tried hard enough. It was one of those types of things. And I mean 11 p.m. for everyone wondering, not 11 a.m. And uh, I grew up in that. I grew up when Sunday school was before church. Do you remember that? You came early for Sunday school, and then you stayed for church. And if it was the summer, we also had something in the afternoon that was Sunday school-like, a bit of a camp, a bit of a DVBS, and then we'd be back for Sunday night. That was just Sunday. Forget prayer meetings, forget... WM, that's women's ministry, forget all the other things that you were involved in. We spent a lot of times in church. I and I grew up on the non-padded, hard-backed pews. That was my experience. Um, I may pay for that later in life, but that's where I sat for a good couple of years. Even was able to sleep on them as a little kid, believe it or not. You get used to it. And I grew up in that, and then eventually my family moved to Nova Scotia. And we became part of um, the Rock Church. Actually, my first Sunday at Rock Church was Pastor Paul Ukes. Many of you may know him. He and uh, Pastor uh, Ted started the work, now known as Rock Church, where I pastor. Uh, my first Sunday was Pastor Paul Ukes last Sunday before he went to Toronto with his family to plant the work up there. And I grew up planted in that house. I learned 
that God had destined for me to be a part of that body, and he caused me to flourish. And he began to speak to me in ways that I had to learn, that I had to discern. He began to uncover some things that I felt perhaps I was going to be a part of later in life, but I didn't know, certainly at a young age, how that was going to work. Right? I knew God had a plan because we all hear that, right? In fact, I'll get you to turn to Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I'll actually read this portion. I've copied it out in the CSB version, but you can certainly follow along. Uh, in the King James Version, there's just one or two words that they, that they translate just a little differently, but the meaning is the same. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11, it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I heard that all my growing up. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. We would quote that. Any almost any given Sunday, you might hear someone say that. Perhaps you've heard the same. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Well, he knows them, but I wanted to know them, right? I, I wanted to be in on the, the plan. I wanted to be in on the knowing. I wanted to know where to direct my life. Thankfully, I was planted in the house of the Lord. God had placed me, I felt. He had placed me very specifically. Of course, at a young age, he spoke through my spoke to my parents to where we were supposed to go, where we were supposed to be planted. And I began to feel this, I'm going to say, we use the term call. That's a real heavy, big sounding, you know, important term. Truth of it is, I just kind of had a feeling. I had a feeling that somehow I was going to be involved in church ministry of some sort. But I wasn't sure how. I knew one thing. I wasn't like any of the guys that were on pastoral staff um, that were raising us up. I just wasn't like them. They're great communicators. They're real preacher preachers. Pastor Ted, if you've, I'm sure he's preached here. If you've been here, he may have even run down the backs of these pews. He, he can't do that anymore because the last time he did it, he did hurt himself. So we always joke with him. We weren't sure that one was the Holy Spirit. If you hurt himself, I'm not sure. But he, he preaches. He exhorts. He's one of those guys. Pastor Bruce Belair, the same thing. Preachers. And I didn't see what I felt were my skill sets being put on display, let's say, on any given Sunday. So I, even though I felt called to ministry, I wasn't sure how that was going to work out because I didn't look like, seem like, sound like the other guys that were around me. Yet I did have this feeling, recognizing that God had placed me, placed me in this congregation. And because he had placed me, he had a purpose for it. But I needed to know that purpose. I wanted to know that plan, so I had to discover it. I had to discover it. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. It says this. It talks about the body. You guys, perhaps, if you've read your Bible at all, you've come across this portion of Scripture or portions of Scripture like it. And it describes what I'll say is the church, the kingdom of God, as a body. And... We know just in your physical, natural bodies, you know that you have lots of different parts. There's the parts that you can see, and then there's a whole part, there's a whole bunch of inside stuff that I don't even know how hardly any of it works. All I know is whenever someone describes to me uh, anything that they have to, a procedure that requires them to go on the inside of them, my particular knees get weak 
and I feel a little woozy. I can't handle anyone's description of it. Sadly, in our office, everyone else loves to talk about it. Somebody's got a broken leg, they tell you how it was broken and what it looked like and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I just excuse myself from most of those rooms because I just can't handle it. But I do have an appreciation for the body. As I get a little older, I have more appreciation for it because this particular body doesn't recover as fast as it used to. If I injure myself, I stay injured just a little bit longer. And when I am injured is the time when I really appreciate how all the different parts of the body work together, right? If you have a sore thumb, something as simple as a sore thumb, you don't realize how much you use your thumb on every given day until it's sore, right? Or your pinky or your toe. Oh, my gosh. Your toe's doing work you have no appreciation for until it hurts. Pastor Justin stubbed his toe about two months ago. He's still, he's still limping. He's getting older, too. He won't want to admit it. He's not recovering as fast. And so it's talking about the body and how every member is important. Every member. There's lots of members that get credit because they're on the outside. Your face gets a lot of credit as far as your body goes because that's the representation you make to most people. Your voice, your ears, your all those things are important. But there's all sorts of internal things that if you don't have it, your body's not going to do so well. You're not going to flourish as well. And it says in verse 18 that God has set the members. God has set, set by God, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. Just as he pleased. He set them in place, made for a purpose, placed in the house of the Lord, set in place by God just as he pleased. Just as he pleased. And knowing all this growing up, I wanted to know what my particular part was. I wanted to know where I fit. I wanted to know that plan that God had for my life. I did pretty well in school. Uh, and as such, I was able to get into university, which was important um, to me, it was important for a couple reasons. I would be the first person in my family to go. Little source of, I think, family pride to say, you know what, let's, you know, let's take this to the next level. Let's go to university. I was pleased to be able to do that. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I thought I did. I thought I wanted to be an electrical engineer. And then uh, my very first semester, my very first class of that semester uh, was a physics class. And God bless Professor Gunther as I, stood, as I sat there and he stood before us. And he, and he just took one look at us and said, half of you will not be here by December. And then he stopped, looked around again and he said, and the half of you that remain will probably fail. Now open your book to chapter... That was his intro. You know what? I don't know if he was prophetic or not, but it was accurate. I was not there by December. <laughs> and I know a lot of people who did not pass uh, throughout the following year. And so as I started to understand a little bit about myself a little better, I actually went into business and still all the while feeling this particular call to ministry. And it came because of a very specific reason. I actually received a prophecy over my life when I was 17. It was in March of 2000. I'm sorry, not 2000. 
I'm older than that. But it was in March of the year that I turned 17. And uh, it was it was oddly specific. You know, have you've been in church any length of time, you can have some prophecies that are encouraging, but aren't necessarily specific to the point of, this is what you're going to do. Might be that you're called to reach out to people or to be evangelistic or something like that, but this one was, hey, you there, in the whatever kind of shirt I was wearing, God's telling me you're called to be a pastor, that you're going to shepherd sheep. You're going to raise them up. And you're, you need to get trained. And he pointed over to Pastor, uh, Pastor Bruce and Pastor Ted and said, you've got to submit yourself to leadership and get trained up in the ministry because God's calling you to be a pastor. And so I was already, I'm 17. I'm already accepted to university. I didn't know what any of that meant. But I was okay with the prophecy because it witnessed to something that was happening on the inside of me, even though I didn't know how it was exactly going to be met out. And uh, But I still felt really okay to go to university. Still felt that that was a part of God's plan for my life. So that's exactly what I did. And I kept the prophecy in mind. And over the course of many years after, I would question and wonder and doubt about how any of this was going to unfold. And God really spoke to me through the story of Joseph in the Bible. And I hope you're familiar with this, but if, if I could, I'd just like to tell that story. I'm not going to read it to you, but I want to remind you of the story of Joseph and how it really spoke to me and perhaps with how God, I hope, is speaking to you and how you are discerning the place that God has set you in to flourish the part of the body that you're supposed to play, that very important and vital part, um, the plan that God has for you. As you discover that, this situation, this story might help you as well. Well, for those of you that know the story, you know that Joseph was the youngest among many brothers, and he had a dream one night. He had a dream that he and his brothers were out in the field. They were bundling... uh, They were bundling wheat together, and for some reason, his particular bundle stood upright, and all the other bundles that were bundled by his brothers bowed down to his bundle. He told his brothers. This upset his brothers. If you can understand the culture of the day, or perhaps any day, or just understand family, probably not going to go so well, the youngest brother sharing a dream like this. Basically, in their minds, they were saying, you're going to be someone so great that we're going to bow down to you. Like, who do you think you are? You're not even you're not even on the inheritance list as far as we're concerned. It goes like first guy all the way down to little old you. Now, we also know Joseph had some sort of favoritism might be a strong word, but he had a special place in his dad's heart, certainly. I'd say mostly because pro, uh, I would suggest to us that um, because Jacob, his father, was also the youngest, he probably had a soft spot for the youngest and they probably were very similar. Joseph was a bit of a homebody, which we found out, because he was the only one not out with the herd when his brothers were out doing all the work. He was the one that stayed at home. But before that, he had another dream. He had a dream that the 11 stars and the sun and the moon bowed down to him. He told it to his brothers and his father. They were all upset with him. And his father actually went so far as to interpret that dream. He said, who do you think you are that me... 
he must have been the sun. Your mother, the moon, and these 11 stars would bow down to you. But the Bible says his father kept that matter in mind. It must have impacted him in some way that he, he kind of just said, I better just tuck this away and hang on to it. Well, as time goes on, his brothers are out in the field. You know the story. Joseph is sent to bring some refreshments to, to them, to connect with them. They're not in the place that they were supposed to be. They're in another place, but he does find them. And as he's walking some distance towards them, probably across a, a large field because they can see him coming, they have a conversation. And enough of the brothers want to actually kill Joseph. But they decide through the intervention of a brother that they let's, let's throw them in this, this empty pit, this empty well. Let's throw them in here, which they do. And while they're still perhaps deciding what to do with them, a caravan go, comes by that actually is in the slave trade. So they decide to sell him. They take his coat of many colors that his dad gave to him, and they devise a bit of a scheme. They come up with some blood, as you guys know, and they coat the coat, the coat with it. <laughs> they bring it back to, they tear it up, they bring it back to their father to say, you know, he was killed by a wild beast. He must have been. Is this not his coat? But Joseph goes on. Sold into sl slavery, right? He's been betrayed by his brothers, finds himself in the house of a man called Potiphar. But the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. Say, with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph through this really terrible time. Can you imagine the feeling of betrayal, the feeling of loss, the feeling of uncertainty in this time? Yet, the Bible says the Lord was with him. And actually, he was able to find favor. God gave him favor with Potiphar. So much so that quickly, Joseph ran all of Potiphar's many affairs. The Bible says Potiphar didn't even really know what was his unless it was on the plate in front of him because Joseph handled everything. He was in charge of everything. But Potiphar's wife had eyes for Joseph. And so she was after him day after day. Joseph kept his integrity as you Perhaps well know from the story, he said, no, I'm not going to sin against my God, and I'm not going to betray your husband. I am not going to do this. He has kept nothing from me except you. I can't do this evil thing. Well, she decides one day she's had enough. You know, she grabs him. He loses his coat again, second coat he lost, and the whole thing, right? First one his father gave him, the second one Potiphar gave him. He runs out, leaves his coat behind. She comes up with this story of how he took advantage of her. And because of that, Potiphar, so upset, throws him into prison. Not just any prison, but the king's prison, the dungeon of dungeons. It's like the prison under the prison. And so now Joseph finds himself not only betrayed, not only sold into slavery, but now in prison. And yet the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. And caused him to have favor with the jailer. Now, he's not really on an upward trajectory, as you can see. He had a little bit of a bounce back from the pit scenario and sold into slavery. He kind of found uh, uh, a second life, as it were, in Potiphar's house. But now he's worse off than perhaps even the pit. And he's in jail, but he had favor with the jailer. Before you know it, in some strange way, Joseph's kind of running the jail, at least this part of it. And he encounters one day some more of the king's prisoners. He encounters the butler and the baker. 
And this part of the story, as I was reading it, as I was considering my own life as a young man and trying to figure out how I was going to understand, how I was going to figure out how I was going to discover this place that God was setting me towards, that God had planned for me to be a part of. As I read that story, Joseph's life just came so clear to me, just just like an epiphany when he's meeting with the butler and the baker and they're all upset because they've had dreams. They had dreams while they were in the jail and they didn't know what they meant. And Joseph found them there and they obviously looked upset because he just could tell by looking at them. He said, what's wrong? So we've had dreams. There's no one here to interpret them. And Joseph says one of the most profound things that changed my life. If I could paraphrase it, he said, no one can interpret your dream except God. No one can do it for you. You can't figure it out on your own. Only God can interpret your dream. Why don't you tell me your dream and let me go ask God? So they do. I won't get into their dreams. They were crazy dreams. They were pizza-filled, just insanities of cakes and birds and all sorts of, all sorts of things. But he comes back. He has good news. Uh, for the butler, he's got bad news for the baker. The butler's going to be restored in three days. The baker is going to be killed. It happens just as Joseph said, and he only gave one request for this prophecy, this word of God that was given to him. He said to the butler, when you are back in Pharaoh's uh, house, don't, don't forget me. Well, he did. He forgot him for one more year. This was at the time of Pharaoh's birthday, so a whole nother year goes by, and I guess Pharaoh must have been having another birthday. And the butler forgets completely about Joseph. Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into prison, and forgotten. But the Lord was with Joseph and still was going to give him favor because now Pharaoh has a dream. And no one can interpret it for him. And the butler remembers someone and says, there was a guy, I know this person, who I told my dream to, and he gave me the interpretation, and it came true exactly like he said it would. Well, you know, Joseph stands before Pharaoh, and the interpretation of that dream and the subsequent Planning the subsequent purpose for Joseph's life actually saves nations, not just one nation, nations from famine. The interpretation of the dream came back to say that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. In the seven years of plenty, let's put enough to get us through the famine. And you guys know very well, eventually his family come to receive some of this reserve of food because they were ready to starve themselves. And he through all of these crazy circumstances, crazy circumstances, was not able to save nations from famine, but his very own family, the family that had betrayed him. And as I read that story as a young man, and I had now been through university, I had begun working as an insurance adjuster for no particular reason. I would say I fell into it, but actually I would say God was with me. And I had favor. It came in such an easy way that it had to be God. I had no 
no vision, no idea of, I didn't even know what an insurance adjuster did. It paid good. I wish I had kept some of that money. If you're young here and you're starting a job, don't spend all of it. Save a bunch of it. I made more as an insurance adjuster um, than I've made as a pastor, and I've been a pastor a lot longer than I was an insurance adjuster. I could have kept some of that and been really set. So you can have a lots of fun with uh, 80% of your money. 10% goes to God. That's the tithe. Non-negotiable. Just do it. And at least put 10% away every year for your, for your future. Um, and don't do what me and my wife did. Because we were young and silly and we didn't have any children, we would, like, on a rainy day, go for a walk in the mall and, like, one of us would come up with, like, a leather jacket. Like, no planning, no nothing. Just these insane impulse buys. So if you don't take anything else away from this, save your money. That's what I'm going to suggest to you. And, of course, tithe. Um, but I kept, through this story, being reminded of only God can interpret your dream. Only God can interpret your dream. I had received, I would say, a dream for my life through that prophecy. I'd received it. And I had thought about it a lot. And I didn't want to run from it. I was very careful about that. But I also knew that I didn't want to put my own hands to it. I didn't want to manipulate it in any way. I didn't want to make it happen. God had to do it. And it was through this that God just said, listen, I have it. I have it. I'm with you. I'm showing you favor. And he did. He showed me favor in my career. He showed me in favor with customers. He showed me favor with, you know, just people that I was dealing with, certainly within the, the company that I was in, the bosses that I had. I had favor. And um, I kept myself as best as I could, same as Joseph did. I didn't sin against God. I, I kept myself. Did I make mistakes? Sure, we all do. But I was... I was a good boy, and I was waiting for the day when all things would be revealed, let's say. And then time seemed to get long, and it was getting harder for me to do my job as an insurance adjuster because I felt forgotten, I'm sure the same way that Joseph did. And even the simple practice of putting my shoes on in the morning to go to work uh, made me burst into tears, to be quite honest with you. Just felt like I couldn't do it anymore, that God was calling me to something different, and it, I just couldn't figure it out. I have a great wife because she knew exactly what to do. She'd come down the stairs. We have a split entry, so I'd be like on the landing part with like one shoe tied, the other shoe not tied, tears running down my face. She'd give me a hug. She'd pray for me, and then she'd tell me to tie my shoes and get to work. That's what you need, by the way, when that stuff happens. You can't check out. You just got to keep going. You got to keep moving forward. And as time went on, I made a great friendship with Pastor Russ Conway, who many of you know. He's, uh, he was the lead pastor at our church that I worked for for years, and now he works for me, which is awesome and really weird. It's really weird. It's weird preaching on a Sunday morning when in our church, Pastor Ted, who founded the church, is sitting right there with his wife, uh, Gloria, who hired me, incidentally, eventually. And sitting right there is Pastor Russ, who used to, who I used to work for, who now works for me. And they all preach better than me. It's a lot, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of stress on a Sunday morning. And so um, I made great friends with Pastor Russ. And he asked me this question one day, out of the blue, 
we were working on, if you guys remember, the Franklin Graham Festival was in Halifax, and we were working on it together a little bit on our part and doing some things for Franklin Graham, and it was a late night. And he just out of the blue said, was there ever a prophecy over your life? And I didn't want to tell him because I didn't want it to seem like I was looking for something. You know, it's hard to tell a guy you know is going to be the next pastor. Oh, yeah, just so happens I have a prophecy that I'm supposed to be a pastor too, so which one do you think would be my office? Like, he can't do that. So I kind of changed the subject, as I'm pretty good at doing, and he just smiled and let me change it, and then he brought it back around and said, have you ever had a prophecy? Well, I'll tell you, I said to him, but just know I'm only telling you because you asked, and I don't, I'm not looking for anything. I told him the story. And the funny thing about it is, so this, this guy comes, he gives a prophecy, and over the years I would ask people if they remembered this guy's name. Because no one's remembered this policy now. I had about two days of my friends making fun of me, calling me Pastor Chris, and then nothing, right? No one mentions it again. I mean, what do you say? People aren't necessarily thinking about your life all the time. They don't remember all the things that are happening, let alone decades ago. And um, so I would say, you know, this guy's name. His name was J.D. Glass. We brought him in in March. That's the only thing I could remember because it was so unusual. I asked Pastor Bruce Belair, who, by the way, brought him in. I said, Pastor Bruce, whatever happened to J.D. Glass? He said, bro, who are you talking about? I said, you know, the guy we brought in one time. He said, bro, as Pastor Bruce says, bro, I never brought in anyone named J.D. Glass. I said, no, no, you did. It's in March. He said, bro, give your head a shake. You don't do anything in March. It snows in Nova Scotia. You don't plan a special meeting with a special guest in March. He said, I never did that. Now I'm thinking, I'm crazy. Thinking like, did I in some weird way make half of this up? Or as time went on, did like my, is my mind playing tricks on me? I mentioned the name to Pastor Russ, and he went through the archives. And we had, of course, cassette tapes. Everyone under the age of 20 doesn't know what I'm talking about right now. But it was, they were cassette tapes. And the services were recorded on these little square things that had ribbon of tape on the inside of it. And ours were white, and they were 90 minutes per side because every service was, like, insanely long. And so he went looking for it, couldn't find it. Now I really think I'm crazy. I am not sure about anything, yet I still have this feeling. I still keep saying to myself as Pastor Russ and I would share together, only God can interpret this dream. Only God can interpret this dream. And one day, some guy calls him out of the blue, looking for um, the prophecy that Paul Young-E Cho, if you're familiar with that, he's from South Korea, Paul Young-E Cho spoke at our church, and he gave a prophecy. And so people would call for this from time to time, so we'd go down. I wasn't on staff. Someone would go down, find the tape, and make a copy, Right? And one day while he was down there, he noticed that one tape was flipped upside down. And he picked it up, and it was, you know, it was out of order. It wasn't in, you know, the calendar order. It was just out of place, because Paul Young Cho was, I think, the 70s. And this was in the 90s. And he said, oh. And he looks at the name. He says, boy, that name sounds familiar. Why do I know it? And then he remembers the story I told him. Now, if you grow up in church, you know this. This will only be funny if you've been, you know, going to church for like 40 years. So he found a set of three nights of tapes, and he said, you know, 
if a guy was going to give a prophecy, what night would he give it? Pastor Russ said, well, he'd probably give it on Sunday night because he knows he's leaving on Monday. (laughs) So lo and behold, he pulls out Sunday. And Sunday's in the middle. For some reason, that recording is in the middle of the tape. And as soon as he puts it in, as soon as he presses play, he hears you there. God's calling you to be a pastor. At the exact spot, he quickly pressed stop, took the portable, you know, remember the portable one that used to have flip up, right? He brought that up with the cord because, you know, if you didn't have the cord, you had to have the D batteries and no one keeps those around, right? So he brought it up and he calls me up on the phone. Now, this was so long ago, you could answer your cell phone while you were driving, And so I was driving. I remember exactly where I was. He says, listen to this. And he presses play. And I hear the prophecy. First time since the actual event. And it was in that moment, just a little reminder for me. You know what? God's saying to me, I haven't forgotten. I know the plan I have for you. I know you're still discovering it, but I'm still with you. I'm still giving you favor. I've set you in this place. I'm placing you. And the place I'm putting you, you will flourish. Just know that I have it. Everyone else can forget about it, but I haven't forgotten about it. And, of course, because I had conjured up, I thought I had conjured up so much of this memory that might have been twisted a bit, I said, so is it this guy's name? He said, yes, it is. And, uh, and I said, for my own sake, just because now I'm even doubting it happened in March, right? Because Pastor Bruce was so passionate that there's no way he would have planned it. And I said, what, what date was it? He, he started to say it. He stopped. He said, it's March. And he stopped. He said, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I said, what? He goes, it's 10 years ago today. 10 years ago today. Now, here's the thing. That was just a little wink and a smile, I'll say, from a good heavenly father to say, listen, I got this, Right? Now, what did I do in that moment? I was on my way to take a statement of someone who got injured on a Metro Transit bus, to be honest with you. What did I do? I went to take that statement. I didn't turn around and drive to the church and say, where's my office? I knew God was still developing this on his own, right? He was, he was mapping this out for me. When Joseph was 17, he had those dreams. It took him 12 Years, 12 years of uncertainty from the moment of that dream to the moment when he stood before Pharaoh. It's just interesting to me. And again, just a little wink and a nod from my Heavenly Father because it took me the exact same amount of time. In the year that I turned 30, I'd get a phone call from Pastor Ted saying, Listen, I'm about to transition this church. I'm going to give it, I'm going to hand it over. I feel the Lord is leading me to. To have Pastor Russ lead, we talked about who could come and support him, and your name has come up. Let's have a conversation about it. An exact same kind of time frame in a story that God used to kind of keep me and to keep me on track and to remind me that he's working all these things out, that the plan that he has for me is good. It's not for disaster. Were there moments that seemed disastrous? Sure. That's life. That's all of us. There's no changing that. You may find yourself in different circumstances where you're like, boy, this doesn't seem like the plan of God for my life, but I would suggest to you that in those moments, 
You just look for God because chances are he is absolutely there with you. And he will still give you favor even if it's in the house of someone who considers you a slave. Even if it's amongst brothers and sisters that will sadly betray you. Even if you feel like you're forgotten in what seems like a prison, God is with you and the plans that he has for you is good. You have been created for a purpose, on purpose. Here's the great thing. No matter what God has called you to do, I promise you, he has placed you in that place. He has given you that assignment for someone else's salvation the same way he did for Joseph. Only through Joseph, amongst all of those crazy circumstances, were nations saved. He became so powerful in Pharaoh's kingdom that the Bible says a man couldn't raise his hand or his foot without a nod from Joseph that it was acceptable. That's a lot of favor. And God's calling us all to have favor in our arenas, the place that he has called us to, because he needs to see a harvest come. He needs to see salvations come. Your part in that is not insignificant. Not insignificant. We're not all feet. We're not all hands. We're not all eyes. We're not all mouths. We're not all of those things. But the part that we do play is on purpose. Absolutely on purpose. My prayer for you today, my desire, is that you would begin to understand, even in the small, most basic, elementary of levels, a little bit of the plan that God has for your life. Just a little bit. It's a little bit tied into your giftings, there's no question. God's uniquely made you for a purpose. Uniquely made you. It's a little tied into your temperament a little bit, even though God uses all sorts of circumstances to help shape us into the people he needs us to be in the moment he needs us to be it. I'm not going to say for one second that God moved upon the hearts of his brothers to betray Joseph. I don't believe God does that. I don't believe that God necessarily dug that specific hole for Joseph to be thrown into it. I think he made sure it was empty. It was empty. Would have been a different story if it had been full of water, perhaps. And perhaps, even though God didn't necessarily mandate it that he would be betrayed by Potiphar's wife, but all of those things God worked together for good and through it shaped Joseph into the perfect instrument of salvation, just like he's doing to you. So in the midst of what seems like a difficult situation, if you find yourself in that today, I want you to just to be sensitive to the fact God is with you. God is with you. And he is giving you favor, favor for those exact arenas. And if it's okay, Pastor, but if you feel like time is going on a little long or you just feel a little extra discouraged and perhaps even as in this moment as Pastor Justin just leads us in this time of worship if we could just close our eyes and ask the Holy Spirit what he might be speaking to us but after we have this moment of worship I'd, I'd like to take the opportunity to pray with you if you feel the Holy Spirit is drawing you in that way just to encourage you in your faith just from 
One guy who's just now starting to discover, just now, starting to discover the plans that God has for him. Just now. From 17 to 42. Just now, starting to see it a little more clearly. Just now, starting to understand even the beginning parts of it. It took all of the shaping up to this very moment for me to say, I actually see a little something that God must see. Just a little something. And along the way, God will do the same for you. Just give you a little glimpse, a little glimpse, as every day you walk a little closer, a little closer to the destiny he has for you, the destiny he has for you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Good plans, not plans for disaster, but plans for you to flourish and to bring salvation to people, to be a part of establishing the kingdom of God here, here in this very place that he has placed you to flourish. Amen. Let's stand to our feet together. As Pastor Justin just leads us in this moment of worship, if you do feel like you would like prayer, I would love to do that. I just encourage you to come up to the front as you are able, and we'll just have a moment of prayer. I'll ask perhaps Pastor Bruce and and Jeffrey and whoever the elders are here. You know how it works. I don't to perhaps pray with you, but uh, we just want to be able to stand together. Here's the great thing about it. It takes all of us to do this. All of us. No part insignificant. Some guys hold the microphone. Other guys make the microphone work. That job way harder than this job, by the way. More stressful, too. Have a lot of have a lot of patience and, and, uh, and love for your tech people. It's a hard job. We all don't do the same thing, but we all do it together so that God can be glorified, so that God can be lifted up and people can come to know him. So if you'd like prayer on any level today, just as we worship and as the Holy Spirit moves, I'll release you to do that. Bless you.